The following program is a paid advertisement and does not necessarily reflect the opinions of station owner, WJUL Radio, LLC. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission. To explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Welcome to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This is Dr. Dan. We are coming to you from the studios of WJUL Talk Radio, 97.5 FM and 1230 AM. My producer, Tim Rose, is running the board and may, from time to time, interject his two cents. You with me, Tim? I am. Well, this program, listeners, is for you. No matter who you voted for or what political party you belong to, Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is not about politics. It's about principle. It's not about candidates. It's about conscience and the Constitution. Like the name implies, this is a program about freedom, your freedom, where it comes from, what it means to you, and most importantly, how to hang on to it. We're back again today with Jim Davis, uh, international banker, and we are talking about money. I remember when I was a, a young kid, there was this joke, and it said, money isn't everything, but it's way ahead of whatever's in second place. Well, the point is, is that we all use money as a means of, of getting what we need, the necessities of life and the nice things of life. And obviously what's going on in our nation and in the world today is threatening our ability uh, to be able to do that. So let's talk first. Let's talk first about September of 2008. Most of us have been going along ignoring a whole bunch of things for a long, long time. But September of 2008 kind of brought home that things were very, very wrong on the economic front. Uh, in this country. What exactly happened in 2008, uh, Jim? And was it really that bad? Was it really that dire? What was the origins of that? And how bad really was it? Well, basically, 2008 was the, the uh, this was when we had a financial crisis, and we were told in the media and by the government, the sky was going to fall and the international banking system and economies were going to collapse. What caused this? Well, in a nutshell, the government made incentives for people to do irresponsible things. So in other words, what you're saying is what we all know, and that is you have to have the other side of freedom is personal responsibility. 
and that goes in all aspects of life. But you're talking about an enormous amount of personal irresponsibility when it came to the buying of homes. Yeah, basically, um, long story short, back in the late 70s, uh, there was an act passed which basically said you have to lend to people who can't afford to pay back the loans. Now, banks were smart enough to know that if they did this, they'd go out of business. So they kind of ignored the law until the 90s when the Clinton administration and Justice Department said, we are going to fine you if you don't start making these loans to low-income people who can't pay the money back. And, and, and the banks still were reluctant to do this until they said, okay, we're going to have Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which were privately quasi-government uh, agencies that bought mortgages and told the banks, all right, you make these bad loans, we'll buy them for you, you can keep the fees, and we'll take it. And so let me, let, me make, let me make this point very clear, okay? Normal banking practices were you have to have enough income to qualify for a loan to buy a house that you can reasonably afford to pay for. Is that not the financially responsible thing to do? Yes, but the government said make loans. Don't ask them if they're making money or even have a job. You have to make money. You have to make loans to certain neighborhoods or ethnic groups. So, and when did this start? When, when, when were banks literally forced to make loans that they knew could never be paid back? Really, the mid to late nineties. The mid to late nineties. So those people. Uh, who would say that it just occurred in the years 2000 to 2006 or 2008 are just wrong. This is a law that goes back a number of decades, but was not enforced until the mid-90s. Is that correct? Pretty much so. Okay. So what happened? So the banks started making these loans and selling them to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And to keep it going... Now, by 2003, uh, the Bush administration, there were, there were whistleblowers saying how much, how much of these loans were going bad in Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, but the people running them were paying themselves huge uh, bonuses for all the money they were making. And the Federal Reserve kept lowering interest rates, which they have the ability to do, so that the lower your interest rate, as most of you who have homes know, uh, the more money you can borrow. So the housing prices kept going up until basically right about the end of 2006, beginning of 2007. The di Fed Reserve discount rate was down about almost nothing. So they couldn't go any lower. So once that was low, that pretty much said that's about as high as the price of homes would go. And then so, people could no longer saw their – so home prices kind of leveled off in 2007, 2008, which meant people couldn't get home equity loans to pay off all – to spend more money than they were making. This really illustrates what happens when you mess with the free market. Yeah, the government basically gave people incentives and the idea that they could keep borrowing more money because the value of their home was always going to go up. Right. But again, it is manipulation of the free market by the Federal Reserve, which got us into that mess. There were some peripheral things. There, certainly there were people 
who took advantage of the situation to earn a lot of money uh, with derivatives and things like that. But if banks had been allowed to judiciously loan money to people who could pay it back on homes they could reasonably afford, then we wouldn't have had this trouble in the first place. Exactly right. So I've solved the problem. Unfortunately, so I to, can't turn back the so clock. So in 2008, but by 2007, now the banks that were packaging these loans and selling them all over the world to, to your retirement fund and other people's retirement fund, and they had guaranteed, a lot of these derivatives were guarantees that if any loans went bad, they basically, like an insurance policy, would make good on it. But people like Goldman Sachs did not put away money in case they had to pay these bad loans. So then they started funneling a lot of money to politicians so that the government would bail them out and they wouldn't have to pay I see, the piper. Well, I see, I see a lot of parallels here. I see promises made and then the people collecting money as part of the promise deal and then basically stealing the money or using it for some other purpose. So that has happened now. It happened in the housing industry because of that. It's happened certainly in Social Security where we've all been putting money, forcibly putting money into Social Security for all of our working lives with the expectation that that money would be there uh, for us when we retired. But instead, the government just dumps it into the general fund and wastes it along with all the other money that they're busy wasting, like the GSA going to Las Vegas and all that other stuff. So over and over and over again, we the people have been duped by a bunch of greedy, power-hungry politicians who promise us the world, say, give me a little bit of money, we'll make good for you, and then they go spend the money on something else, and they don't keep their promises. Well, for example, in 1965 was when the, all the money that comes in for Social Security which is about two-thirds of the money that comes into the federal government in taxes, was used to spend on the Great Society. And since then, whatever revenues come in this year were being used to pay out Social Security to Social Security recipients rather than investing that money so it would grow, so the money would always be there in perpetuity to pay people once they retired. Well, that really is, is the essence of honest government isn't it? The essence of honest government is to have programs that, that work, but then you, when you make that promise, you have to fulfill the promise and pay off on it. And we are so far behind the curve on that. I don't know how it's possible for the government to pay off on those unfunded liabilities that we started this segment talking about. But we'll be back after we pay some of our bills because I believe in financial responsibility and we're going to pay those bills right now. Do you have eye problems? Ophthalmologist Dr. Dan Eichenbaum, a graduate of Yale Medical School and the Bascom Palmer Eye Institute, has the training and experience to give your precious eyes the expert care they need. Whether it's cataract surgery, macular degeneration, diabetic eye disease, or glaucoma, call Dr. Dan Eichenbaum, 828-837-5404 in Murphy or 706-745-9777 in Blairsville. Medicare and insurance accepted. Quality eye care, regardless of your ability to pay. 
A long, long time ago in Young Harris, a restaurant opened with food so tasty and delicious the streets were chaos with bandits and outlaws fighting for a chance to enjoy one of their delicious steaks. That place is still here, and it's right down the road. Brothers at Willow Ranch is the place for the finest steaks, seafood, burgers, and chicken in town. Located on Highway 76 in Young Harris, Brothers at Willow Ranch, where Southern hospitality is their specialty. Call for reservations today, 706-379-1272. Find the right club for you at the new Golf Topia in Hayesville, your local discount golf store opening July 21st. Golf Topia sports new and used clubs, and consignment is available by calling 82 828- 2-8-3-6-0-2-1-0-3. Take a club on a test drive using our hitting mats and putting surface and enjoy a free gift with your first purchase. Putter up at the new Golf Topia at 1124 Highway 69 in Hayesville in the Tri-County Plaza next to Color Splash and kick your handicap to the curb. So we were talking about the financial crisis that occurred in September of 2008. As you know from our recent history, the result has been a series of bailouts. Bailout of this, bailout of that. Um, Really what a bailout is, is the government comes and steals a whole bunch of money from those who are productive and distributes it around, mostly to buy votes, as far as I can tell, not do much else. So we're talking about bail. First of all, what is the effect of a bailout? What, what What is that? Well, a bailout is basically taking money from productive, competitive enterprises and giving it to those that could never be productive. Perhaps, you know, the most publicized example in the last couple of years is all the money going to the solar power industry. $35 billion have been, were taken from companies that were productive and given to solar energy companies most of which are going bankrupt because they can't compete with others' technology and pricing. And virtually all these companies that got the money were financial supporters of the president. Gee, I wonder how that happened. And they kicked back uh, considerable, uh, for example, most people have heard of Solyndra, which was the showcase of the Obama administration. The major shareholder was Obama's biggest bundler of campaign contributions. And they actually put in the loan agreement that the investors should be paid back before the government, which guaranteed the loans and paid, made the loans. And that breaks uh, traditional business law. So in other words, what happened again is... The government has an agenda. They take money from taxpayers, taxpayer money, to fund their agenda, even though the science behind that agenda is lacking, even though the companies could only actually be in existence because of the government money. So that means we are paying to prop up dead companies. Yeah, I think... And it's more than that. Uh, you know, another example is when we bailed out General Motors. Now, normally, if General Motors had been allowed to go into bankruptcy, normally the bondholders who lent money, they get paid off first. Uh, President Obama decided that he would give the mo- half the stock 
to the unions and he would pay all their pensions off and the bondholders were told, we'll give you 10% if you're nice. But more importantly, General Motors, um, actually something that came out today, they revised the figure that of the $85 billion that they gave to General Motors to, to keep paying the uh, huge pension funds and the salaries, which are almost twice as much as their competitors, uh, they gave them $85 billion, and the government now says at least $25 billion we've written off. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone gave me $25 billion, I think I could find a way to make money with it. But because it's a company that it has its employees are paid way – at the time of the bailout, the average General Motors employee with salary and benefits made $75 an hour. The average American – who worked in a Toyota or a Honda plant, made $48 an hour. So what you're saying So there was no way for them to be competitive. Right. Again, this is government taking money from productive taxpayers, giving it to political cronies, basically, and propping up a company which should have died a natural death. Well, the, the main reason they said that they couldn't let it go... Under was that so many people are employed by General Motors, and there are so many companies, which is true, that sell to General Motors. But the thing is, had they been allowed to go into bankruptcy, they could have voided the union contracts and a lot of things, reorganized, and been allowed to do the things the company needs to do to become competitive again. And General Motors would probably have 30 or 40 percent more employees today admittedly making less money than before, but it would be a viable company. Well, that's really what the, the bankruptcy system is about when a company, even a big company, small company, whatever, is no longer able to function in the black. They are then allowed to reorganize in a way in which they can continue in business, continue making product, and continue employing people. I think, and I don't know if you would agree with me, but the whole notion that if General Motors had gone bankrupt or had been allowed to go bankrupt, it would have ended General Motors and the auto industry in the United States. I don't think that's true. Do you? No. I, I think another – let me just give another example from the 60s. The steel industry back then, steel workers were making way more than anybody else and had great benefits. Most of these steel companies went under. But what people – and, and – I'll give an example. When George Bush became president, um, Senator Byrd from West Virginia came to him and said, you won my state in the election. You're not going to get reelected unless you give subsidies for the steel companies in West Virginia. Because if you don't, I've got three plants with 100,000 people who depend on their jobs for these three plants will lose their jobs and you'll never get reelected. So President Bush said, "Okay, we're going to give subsidies for these steel plants. But what people do not see, that saved 100,000 people's jobs in West Virginia. But what about the people that have to buy this steel that costs twice as much than anybody else can buy in Mexico? Well, all their products that buy the steel are priced out of the market because it makes their products too expensive. And economists figured out that the 100,000 jobs saved in West Virginia cost over 400,000 jobs spread all over the United States. It's generally a factor of four. 
But because that 100,000 jobs are in three towns in West Virginia, and that 400,000 jobs, is, nobody sees the 400,000 jobs spread all over the United States with companies that had to cut back because they could no longer be competitive using overpriced steel. Two words, free market. I love the free market. And so did Hayek, so did von Mises, so did Milton Friedman, because they understood that the free market was the source of economic freedom. This is true, and unfortunately, von Mises had the best track record of predicting what's going to happen when governments do certain things, and he generally is not taught in 99% of the universities in this country. Well, one of the things that he said is, and he railed against a mixed economy, and he said that a mixed economy is socialism by installments. And that's exactly what we have, because once you, let the, the, once you get that foot in the door, the nose under the tent, the tent, when the government manipulates the free market, it just continues to snowball and run downhill, because then everyone wants their little piece of the pie. So, we've... Well, in the next segment, I will give you an example, if you'd like, of a government that went down the path of socialism and turned it around, and it's something that has to be done in this country. And I think that's one very, very good reason that we should have another segment with Jim Davis, (laughs) international financier and economist, educated in the Ivy League. Don't hold that against me. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Call me the mischief. we